Lord, once again, we ask that you would take your word and bless it to us, encourage us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've just about finished our series on uh, theology. And, of course, we certainly we could spend uh, so much more time on, on that. But uh, I think it's time just to move on. I'd like you to turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, the Minor Prophets is a place we just have not been very much in, in the history of our church. And there's a reason for that. The message in the Minor Prophets is very depressing. Uh, I've often used this as an example. Uh, years ago when we were in the old building, uh, I started right um, at the beginning uh, of the prof- Minor Prophets uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and went right through the minor prophets. And our attendance in our midweek Bible study just started going down and down. And people are saying, it's depressing. And, and well, we got to finish the series. Well, we're going to try to break it up a little bit and not uh, uh, do that. But uh, there, there is ample message and, and things that we need to pay attention to. In fact... Out of all the minor prophets, uh, I believe it was Jonah that has the most mentions in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus held him up and said, here is a sign. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. He said, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up and judge this generation because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And what I want us to do is, most of us, I believe, as I look out over the crowd tonight, are very familiar with the story of Jonah. We know God came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, he went the other direction. And uh, God sent a storm and stopped the boat. And Jonah said, ah, I, still got, I am still in control. Throw me overboard. I'd rather die than obey God. I just, I don't get that. And... Um, God says, you think you're going to get out of it that easy? And I still, uh, I mean, every time I read through the book of Jonah, I just think of this. It says that Jonah, uh, the last verse of chapter 1, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then the first word of chapter 2 is then. Then Jonah prayed. It didn't take long for God to answer that prayer. And Jonah was spit up on the dry ground, and God came to Jonah the second time in chapter 3 and repeats what he said in chapter 1. There's only one difference. Jonah goes this time. And, And he enters the city of Nineveh, a day's journey, and he begins to preach, repent, uh Let's just read his sermon here. It didn't take very long. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 3, And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, That was Jonah's sermon. That was his introduction. That was his theme. Of course, he was quoting the Bible verse there uh, as, as he preached his message. There was no invitation given. Uh, in fact, Jonah got upset when people answered the invitation that he didn't give. And, and they repented and, and God turned his wrath from the people of Nineveh and Jonah is angry. 
And the book ends with this strange conversation between Jonah and God, where Jonah says, I do well to be angry even unto death. And God says, listen, you had pity over that wild gourd that came up in the night and died in the night. He said, shouldn't I, as God, have pity on this entire city of people that don't know me? And that's the end of the book. I mean, the curtain closes, the screen goes black, and that's all we know about Jonah. Uh, We hear him mentioned in the New Testament as a sign. And what I want us to do is just go through the book of Jonah and look at the testimony of God and the testimony of Jonah and how that ought to apply to us. Just looking at the book of Jonah, number one, the first thing we see is that God wants his message to go to everyone. Now, primarily... The Old Testament is a Jewish book, is it not? Uh, It was written by Jews. All of the laws pertain to the Jewish people. And if you were going to worship God faithfully, you were going to do it God's way. How many of you remember the story of Naaman the Syrian? Uh, When he was healed of his leprosy, he goes to uh, Elisha and says... I want to pay you. I want to give you an offering. Of course, that's the way uh, the quote-unquote gods of this world have always worked. They always work on money. Uh, If you want to know how something works, uh, as my father-in-law always said, follow the dollar sign. Just follow the money and you'll see how it works. And Naaman understood that. His life had been saved. He was very grateful. He wanted to... Give something back. And Elisha, of course, said, no, I will take nothing because God is not for sale. Most religion is for sale. Uh, if you've got enough money, you can get it done. And Elisha said, no. And Naaman said, let there be uh, earth given to me. He said, I want, I want two mules uh, weight of earth given to me. Why? Because he was going to take the dirt back to Israel, pile it up in in his property, and he was going to offer sacrifices to God on the earth. Because that was the altar that God had asked for. You see, the altars of the false gods were famous and beautiful and all these ornate things. God said, pile up stones or just have a mound of earth. That's the only altar I want because I don't want it to be about what you do. I want it to be about who I am. That's the God of the Bible. Amen. And we see that this God is interested in the salvation of the people of Nineveh. Now, we have these stories in the Bible for a reason. People often ask the question, "Is well, you're, you're telling me unless I believe in that book right there, I can't go to heaven. Yes, I am. I am telling you exactly that. If you don't obey the words of this book called the Bible, you have no hope of an eternity with God. Well, what about all the people that never heard? That's their question. How many of you have heard somebody ask that question? Well, here's what you tell them. Say, how about Jonah? 
Well, what about Jonah? Well, the city of Nineveh had nothing to do with the Jewish people. In fact, the only thing the city of Nineveh would have to do with the Jewish people is they would come and carry the twelve tribe, the ten northern tribes of Israel into captivity and destroy their people and oppress them. Uh, the Assyrians were no friends of the Jewish people. They were no friends of the, uh, of the God of the Bible. They did not care anything about this book. And yet God takes Jonah and sends him to Nineveh, the capital of the city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, if we know that God did this with Jonah, and we do because it's in our Bible, can we trust God with what we don't know and what we can't know? I think that's a pretty good foundation, don't you? Uh, if that's not enough, tell them the story of Rahab, the harlot in Jericho. If God had saved the harlot in Jericho, don't you think he's willing to save whosoever will? And can we trust God with the whosoever will? That's the story of the book of Jonah. Because this book really makes no sense. I mean, when we have missionaries come through, and, and, and uh, one of the things I try to explain to the missionary, it says you can either help the cause of missions at Open Door Bible Baptist Church or you can hinder the cause of missions at our church. Uh, we want you to encourage our people for the cause of missions. And, and what is the thing that attracts us most to most missionaries? It's their burden for the place that God has called them to, isn't it? Their heart. And Can anybody find Jonah's heart for the people of Nineveh in this book? I want you to, I mean, this is what I mean by thinking about what's in here. I mean, when we talk about missions, we understand that God, for God so loved the world. Amen. Nineveh was part of the world. And God took time to take a Jewish prophet and send him into this wicked city so that they would have opportunity to repent. God is good. Amen? You see, God is keeping track of sin. Look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now here's what God says. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Because as I am watching this world, which belongs to me, their name is at the top of my judgment list. And you're going to see phrases like this through the Bible many times. What did he tell the children of Israel as they turned and walked in the wilderness? It says, the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. God gives opportunities to repent. God is no respecter of persons. And so God is taking, tra keeping track of all this. And we know 
that the people of Nineveh did repent and God turned his wrath from Nineveh. And that's what got Jonah all upset. I mean, Jonah was just the kind of guy he wanted to watch him fry. He wanted fire to come down out of heaven and just burn them all up. And you know, I've heard some preachers over the years uh, uh, preach and say, I, I wish God had send a big earthquake and just knock off the edges of the United States and, and clean this place up. Well, that'd do a lot to clean up the United States now, wouldn't it? But I'll tell you what, half, over half the population of this country lives in the coast. And God cares about them as much as He does everybody else. Amen? And that's why our church is here. But you see, God's message needs to go out. Now, if there's one thing we need to get about the book of Jonah, is the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's about God. It's about what God wants to do. And by the way, application time, your life is not about you. It's about God. Your wedding upcoming is not about you. It's about what God wants to do in your lives. You see, it's not about us. God did not need Jonah. In fact, if Jonah proves anything, it, pro it proves that God does not need us. We need Him. If there's anything Jonah proves, it gives a testimony. And maybe that's the reason Jesus held him up in front of the Pharisees and said, listen, this is the sign of this generation. You don't have to like what God is doing. You don't have to be on board and have a heart burden, but you do have to obey the Word of the Lord. How many of you have ever knew what was right, knew what you should do, but you don't want to do it. Anybody ever been there? Hi, Jonah. That's Jonah's attitude, wasn't it? He knew what was right. He didn't want to do it. And, and we make fun of Jonah and all of this. But could I ask you a question? Did Jonah get the job done? He most certainly did. Now, Jonah had no burden at all. We've talked about that a little bit. Uh, in fact, when they did respond, Jonah got angry. I mean, how, how do you do that? Stupid people getting saved. I can't believe this. I mean, that was Jonah. He was upset. He was upset at God. Because God was merciful. You know, that's why he said in his prayer, 
in chapter 2. We don't have time to review all this, but verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I like to take that verse backwards. And when we start wanting God's judgment to come down and bad things to happen to people who disobey Him, uh, you need to take warning that you're observing lying vanities. He said that's the result of observing a lying vanity. What is a lying vanity? It's embracing nothing and ignoring everything. That's what happens when we embrace our comfort instead of obedience to God's Word. It says we forsake our own mercy. We forsake the mercy that we have received from God. Jonah said, that's why I am in the belly of the whale. He said, I have forsaken God's mercies And now God has put me in a situation where I can do nothing except say, yes, Lord. Now, the thing that amazes me more than anything about the story of Jonah is the people of Nineveh. I mean, let's just take a moment and read their story here in verse 5, chapter 3. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Did they believe Jonah? They believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king. And his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Now, I'll tell you what Jonah's preaching was. You got 40 days to live. That was Jonah's sermon. Where in the world did the king of Nineveh come up with all the rest of this stuff? Uh, Can I tell you that people who do not know God still know that it's wrong to sin? And people who do not know God still know how and understand how to humble themselves before God. I mean, when you get nervous, how many of you, before you were saved, you get all upset about something and you'd stop eating? How many of you ever did that? A lot of people do. This man said, this messenger has come in. We got 40 days. We better get serious about talking to the God of this messenger. And, you know, you normally don't have to explain to people to stop sinning. In fact, what we normally get when people come to church is, well, 
I, I know what you're saying, preacher, but I'm just, uh, they won't say it in these words, but this is what they say. I'm not ready to stop sinning yet. I'm just, I'm just not ready. Give it up. And the king of Nineveh, was there any reason for him to believe this hateful little Jew who had spent the last three days in the belly of a fish, who comes in, starts screaming at the top of his lungs, you have 40 days to live, 40 days, and God's going to overthrow this city. It's going to burn to the ground, and I'm going to clap my hands and jump up and down, and I'm going to dance on your grave. I mean, that was Jonah's attitude. And yet they believed God. You know what that tells me? That there's still people out there who will believe God. We got to tell them. We have got to tell them. You know, I've I've had people say, well, aren't you going to drive them away? Well, they're not here. You know, we have driven very few people away from this church. There's a lot of people that come and then they leave. But we didn't drive them away because they were never apart. You see, you don't drive people away by not giving them the whole counsel of God. They never get it. When you give them the whole counsel of God, then they can make a choice. Uh, The people in Nineveh made the choice. There was no reason at all for them to believe And yet Jonah, in this whole story, was more concerned about his own comfort than he was anything else. In fact, twice in the story, he tells them to throw him overboard in chapter 1 and chapter 4. After God sends that son and beats down on his head and he faints, he says, just let me die. You know what? God is not the God of death. I've heard a lot of sermons on how God is up in heaven and he will judge you and burn you to a crisp and all of this stuff. That doesn't happen very often in the Bible, my friend. It's the long-suffering of God that leads us to repentance. It's God's patience that allows us to exist. That's the story of the book of Jonah, is how... God wanted to get his message to the people of Nineveh and how patient he was with Job, in, I mean Job, Jonah, in, in getting the message out there. Listen, let's understand some things about God. God is a God of judgment. In fact, if we understand our history correct, Jonah was one of the earliest of the prophets. Uh, we get down to the book of Nahum. Uh, that is one of the latter prophets, uh, several hundred, a couple hundred years later. And uh, what do we have Nahum talking about? The destruction of the city of Nineveh. You know what? God did judge Nineveh for its wickedness. In fact, even to this day, they talk about the city of Mosul which is the modern name for Nineveh, but the actual ancient 
city of Nineveh that Jonah preached in, uh, its foundations are still sitting out there in the desert. I mean, that's one thing about desert uh, situation is things don't rot in the desert. Uh, the stone is still there. It's just buried under the stand. Uh, the ancient city of Babylon that God judged a few generations later, uh, most of it is still sitting there. Uh, the Ishtar Gate's actually in the British Museum, and and uh, different parts of that city are uh, all over the place as people would go in and just uh, rob stones and bricks out of the uh, city of Babylon and, and build their houses. There's houses in the area of the ancient city of Babylon today that are built with bricks uh, that were cast by Nebuchadnezzar and his servants. Um, the, you know, that's just history. But nobody lives in those cities. And nobody has lived in those cities for millennia. Why? Because God's a God of judgment. You know what? He did judge the sins of Nineveh. But you know who else's sins he also judged? He judged Jonah's sins. When Jonah said no, God said, wait a minute. He says, we'll see if putting you on hold. I like the way one preacher, his name is Sam Gipp, put it. He said, God can put you on hold, but he doesn't play nice music. I mean, he just puts you on hold and things stop. If God wants to stop you, he can get the job done. I mean, he stopped Jonah. Could you imagine? I mean, it just makes me shiver to think about it. Being stuck inside this fish. I mean, the air would be stale. It'd smell like uh, the inside of a fish's belly. Do I need to go any further? What would happen to you when that fish decided to dive, all of the pressure of the water is going to press in on you. They, they've taken photography of those seals when they dive. And I mean, sometimes they'll dive hundreds and almost up to a thousand feet straight down and their bodies will just almost go flat. Well, this, this fish's body almost went flat, except for the big bump in the middle that was Jonah. I mean, just imagine how that felt. And if you were to be put in total darkness, no flashlights, you weren't going to flick your uh, uh, lighter inside the fish's belly because you didn't have one. Uh, no Pinocchio, no building a fire inside the fish's belly. I mean, you were just stuck. You would lose track of all time and, and any spatial orientation within just a couple of hours. You'd have no idea. To Jonah, those three days and those three nights would have been almost like an eternity to him. God judged Jonah's sin. You know why? Because God judges sin. But God has a purpose in judgment. 
God does not judge us so that He can say, you did this much wrong, you're going to suffer this much. No. God says, I have put my judgment out as a reason to make you want to obey my word. Isn't that how God did the judgment? He used that judgment in Jonah's life, and when he was done judging Jonah, guess what? Jonah said, anything's better than that. I'll obey. I'll perform my vows. I promised God I would obey him. I would be his prophet. I'm going to do it because anything is better than what I just came through. I'm not going back. And, you know, we today, we just need to understand something. You're going to have difficulties in obeying Christ. In fact, let's just take a quick poll. How many of you have had difficulties this week in, since Sunday in being obedient to Christ? Uh, would you just like to raise a hand and give testimony to that fact? Okay, everybody's hands up. If it isn't, it's because you're not serving Christ. Uh, we struggle over difficulties in, in serving Christ. You need to remember something. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how distasteful it may be to you to obey Christ, it is better than disobedience. That's Jonah's message. God promised his judgment to the city of Nineveh. Not because he was mean and God said, I'm sick and tired of you guys. I've had enough. That's it. Poof, you're gone. No, he sent Jonah in and said, you got 40 days to make up your mind as to what you're going to do. And the people said, we'll humble ourselves. We'll turn from our wicked ways. I don't think Jonah had to explain to the people of Nineveh what was wicked and what was right. You know, most people already know. Years and years ago, I had a man sit down in my office and he says, you know, he said, um, I'm living with my girlfriend. Is that right? And I just looked at him and I said, you, you got to be kidding me. He said, I thought that's what you would say. But see, my girlfriend was going to church and she's the one that told me how to get saved. And she's the one. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame it all on her. That's what Adam did in the garden, right? You know what? You still need to name sin. But people know what is right and what is wrong. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be the difference between the time we live and during the time of the tribulation. Because the Holy Spirit will not be active to tell people the difference between right and wrong. Could you imagine what kind of world it would be with no conscience of sin and wrongdoing? And so, as we go through the book of Jonah here... God uses his judgment to bring men to repentance. And God uses men to get the preaching done. God used Jonah. I can't think of a more unworthy, unwilling 
unnecessary tool than Jonah. But you know what that gives me hope for? If God will use Jonah, he can still use me. He can still use you. In fact, the problem is not God's willingness to use us. It's our willingness to be used. And you know, I think if you would just ask God to make me willing to be used, you wouldn't have to go through the same thing that Jonah did to get there. Amen? God wants to change our hearts. God wants to make us willing to be used. God wants us to understand that He cares about souls. God wants to use us to get the message out. God cares. Let's just uh, go back to chapter 4 here. And that last verse. This is God's indictment on Jonah's attitude and heart. He says, And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Now, six score is six times twenty, so that would be a hundred and twenty thousand little children. Now, I know there are some adults that can't tell the difference between left and right. Uh, uh, I have a problem with that. I just know that, uh, what is it? Yeah, up is left and down is, is right on the turn signal handle. That helps. And, and if you're ever trying to figure out which one is your right hand, just go, I pledge allegiance. There you go. Now you know which one's your right hand, right? Uh, but what he's talking about here is little children. You see, people ask the question, what about children and what about this? And, you know, a child grows up in a city. Well, this 120,000 kids grew up in a city where their parents could tell them the story of this crazy Jew came and started preaching that God would destroy the city. And we repented as a people and God didn't destroy our city. You know what? God cares about the little ones. What can we do? Well, number one, we have God's commands right here, do we not? I mean, they're all just written out for us. It's not a difficult thing. And what we need to do is look at Jonah's life, look what Jonah went through, and say, yes, Lord, I want to take learning. I want to take admonition from Jonah. I don't want God to have to make my heart willing. And if we'll pray, He'll change our hearts. He'll tune us. That's why the psalmist said, incline my heart unto thy ways. Lord, I want you to bend my heart. I want you to tip it in the right direction so that 
when it moves, it moves toward God and not away from God. That's the story of Jonah. Don't make God change your heart. Ask Him to. Ask Him to use you. And He will. I'll tell you, if we want to see this building filled, the thing we need to do is we need to get a hold of the message of Jonah. If the people in Nineveh heard and repented, there's still some people in New York that will hear and repent. We just got to go find them. Does that mean everybody in New York is going to repent? No. In fact, if I read the prophecies, there's going to be a time when we will be so unnoticeable in society as a whole that it's going to seem like we're not making any difference at all. But what did Jesus say to the churches? He said, you be faithful to my word. He told the church at Philadelphia, he said, you've kept my name. You've just obeyed my word. I'm going to keep you going. He told the church that was really messed up, he said, just hold on to that which you've got. Don't lose your rewards because I'm coming back. God's judgment is coming. He is going to judge this world. I've gotten to the point where I hardly even turn on the news right now. Because all that I get, it just raises my blood pressure. How about you? Uh, it's just bad and more bad. And uh, the good guys are bad and the bad guys are badder. Uh, it just really is not very encouraging right now. But you know what? I'm not going to fall into Jonah's trap and just say, God, burn them all. No. God, help me to find those that are willing to listen. Help our church to be faithful in getting the message out. And if it doesn't work, we'll just keep working at it. Because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about His Word. And let's not allow ourselves to slip into the Jonah Syndrome. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You tonight. And Lord, we thank You for the story of Jonah. Lord, he lived in dark days and was sent to a dark people with the message of the Gospel. Lord, we ask that You would work in our hearts and challenge us. That we would not allow ourselves to become cynical and mean-spirited like Jonah was. Lord, that you would soften our hearts and incline them unto your ways. Lord, we know that you still care about souls. We ask that you would help us to reach them. Lord, help us to remember it's not about the messenger. It's not about us. It's about the message. It's about you. Lord, we pray you would use us and use our church in these last days. Help us to be reminded of the prophet Jonah. And Lord, no matter how dark the pathway of obedience looks, the pathway of disobedience is far, far more difficult. Lord, let us not try to tread those paths, but to walk 
in obedience to your word. We ask you to work in this time of invitation that we may live differently when we leave here. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just give a few moments. Altar is open. Pray at your seat.